I don't know if you noticed as you walked across the way or if you haven't, if you've stopped by anytime soon and seen our hall and the progress we've made on it. If you haven't, you should check it out. It looks wonderful. It is beginning to look really nice. The floors are laid down. The walls are painted. The carpet is being put in. The ceiling is done. The whole place just looks incredibly nice. I remember sitting there just a few months ago earlier in the year with a bunch of guys as we began to just talk about what we might do with the space. Uh, We knew that we had to replace the floors because of some uh, asbestos or something like that that we don't really talk about. Um, So we knew the floor needed to be replaced. And since the floor needed to be replaced, ideas started brewing about what we should do. If we're going to put in brand new floors, it made sense that maybe we should paint the walls since you're going to have a new floor, maybe to just at least make the walls look neat and clean and new. And so as we talked about touching the walls, then someone suggested maybe we should take out the cabinets in the back so that we can have more space, and maybe we can actually build a sound booth back there so that we'd have more space in the front. And then if space became an issue, we talked about maybe we should knock down the closets in the front and tear down those walls and open up the whole thing, and that would give us more space. And if we're tearing down stuff, maybe we should tear down the ceiling and and just rip that off and paint the whole thing black. And as the conversation ensued with every increasing idea and suggestion, there was like this excitement building about wow, we could do this. Look at what this place could become. And all of a sudden, as we were coming up with one suggestion after another, it was like we had to pause for a second and go, wait, who knows how to do any of that again? Right? All these ideas are wonderful, but which one of us knows how to do any of that? Who's able or has the ability or the know-how or the skill set to pull any of that off? I might be exaggerating a little bit, but I think at that moment, it was like a ray of sunlight came into the room and started showing on Matt Abraham, right? And, and Neon Matt stepped forward and said, I do, I know how to do this, right? And like we started cheering and applauding and other guys were like, I, I can help, I know how to hit a hammer as well. And, and then the excitement sort of grew as we began to think, man, we could actually do this. We even have some guys who are gifted and able to do this kind of work. It's been very interesting, I don't know for you, but for me, to walk through this part of the book of Exodus, this last part, as we've been doing our own building and constructing and hammering and cutting down. Very interesting to watch the people of Israel doing this construction, this building of a sanctuary, a dwelling place, a tabernacle, a tent for God, while we've been trying our best to build a a sanctuary, this this place for God's people to meet. And, and for a while, it seems like that's the moment we've got to when we get to Exodus 31, right? For, for some weeks now, we've been talking about, in chapter 25, God says, I'm coming. And over these weeks, the ideas have just been sort of building, right? We've talked about where he's going to live and what kind of furniture goes in his house and how everything's going to look and the clothes you have to wear and who gets to go in and what do you have to do to get in and, and who's going to pay for the whole thing. We, we've talked through it all. But now, it's, it's almost like, pause, time out. Who knows how to do any of that, right? For some weeks, it's felt like it's that movie Field of Dreams where you go, that whisper, if you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. The only question is, who's going to build it? Who's got the know-how, the skill set, the gifting, the ability to be able to pull this off? If a few weeks ago the bankers and finance guys and CPAs in the room were going, this whole project sounds great, but how are we going to fund this whole thing? Well, then this week 
the contractors, the electricians, the artists, the interior designers, they're saying this whole project is great, but who's going to pull it off? Who's going to make this thing look nice? Who has the ability, the gifting to be able to do this? With every idea, you could get excited about what the tabernacle is going to look like and the furniture and the clothes and all of it, but who is going to be able to do it? And perhaps the deeper question, the question that's a bit more relevant to you, the question that's closer to home is, how does God's work get done and how do you get to be a part of it? Or or even closer, what is it that God has gifted you with You individually, you particularly, not just your neighbor, what is it that God has gifted you with to do his work? Because God has called and gifted you to do his work. How, How does that work? How does that happen? Well, hopefully for us, Exodus 31 will give us some answers today. As you turn there, let's just pray for a moment, ask the Lord for help, and then we'll preach through this together. God, thank you for your holy word. For by it we are instructed, by it we are commanded, by it we are encouraged, by it we are given truth and a way to live life. We pray now that you would arrest our hearts upon your holy word that we might hear, believe, understand, and obey what it has to say. We pray that Jesus would be glorified, that every heart would be encouraged today. I really do pray the Holy Spirit would encourage every heart and that you would put us to your work for your glory and the good of all who are here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, from chapter 25 onwards, for the last six chapters, we've been talking through all the work that needs to get done. Today we're asking, who's going to do that work? And, And it starts in 31 verse 1. Let me just read it for you again. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Ohaliab, the son of Ahizamech, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Okay, we'll stop there. Here's what happens. God, it's, it's like the light shines in Israel and this ray of light comes on this man named Bezalel. And God calls him to do this work and then tells everyone, and I've also gifted him with the ability to get the job done. Now, there's some things I want us to think through as we consider this. One of the things that I love about this section, about this passage, about the way this all rolls out, is that Moses is not the one who's called to build the tabernacle. That's simple, that's not profound, but I love that. I love that God doesn't call Moses to do this work. Maybe if you're sitting there, you might assume that if God has this important thing that needs to get done, after all, the tabernacle was going to be God's home, God's palace. This was no ordinary tent. And if something that important was going to be entrusted to anyone in Israel, you would assume that that would be entrusted to Moses, right? Who else has done all the work in the book of Exodus? And who else is going to be trusted with doing this work? But that is not what God does. I love that this call doesn't come to Moses. It's not Moses' call. And moreover, Moses is not gifted for this call. 
Moses doesn't have the gifts, doesn't have the ability, the skill set, the knowledge, the intelligence that's required for this task. Listen, Moses might be able to lead. He might be able to administrate. He might be able to weigh the cases as he was doing in Exodus. He might be able to speak and communicate and teach. But all of that is not what it's going to take to build the tabernacle. You can't preach a tabernacle into place. You can't write a tabernacle into place. You're going to have to swing a hammer. You're going to have to know how to do some things that Moses does not have the gifting to do. The building of the tabernacle is going to require gifts that Moses does not have. Right? And, and I need you to remember, the building of the tabernacle is not this less important thing. It's not this afterthought in the book of Exodus. It's central to the whole story. God delivered his people so that they might worship him and he might dwell among them. Right? The tabernacle is not this appendage thrown out to the last part of Exodus. It's central to the whole story. It's why the story exists, because God delivered them so that he might dwell among them. In fact, when Moses is in front of Pharaoh, every time he says, let my people go, is that where he stops? Never, not once. Every time he says to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. The idea of God's people worshiping God as God had prescribed, meeting with him in the tabernacle, that was in view from Exodus 3 onwards. The tabernacle was always a part of the plan because God wanted not just to set them free, but to live among them and have them worship him. And so the tabernacle is not just this, you know, sort of bonus work. It was central to what God was doing. And Moses doesn't have the gifts to get that done. For that to get done... It's going to require craftsmanship, artistic design, intelligence, knowledge, ability that Moses does not possess, but that Bezalel does, Ohaliab does. You don't even know how to say these names, and yet they possess the gifts, the skill set, the ability that is required for this work. That's precisely what God has gifted them to do. Look again at verse 3 and just hear it. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, speaking of Bezalel. Right? So you see the Spirit of God mentioned here. Remember, this is the first half of your Bible, the Old Testament, before Jesus. The last time the Spirit is mentioned like this is, is sort of in Genesis 1 when the Spirit is hovering over the waters as God's about to build the home, the earth. And now the tabernacle is so important that the spirit is mentioned again because here he is superintending the work of building the tabernacle, the mini replica of God's home in heaven. And the spirit has filled Bezalel, and then keep reading, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut stones, to carve wood for every craft. And it's not just him. There's an assistant named Ohaliab who's going to help Bezalel. And these two are going to act like the, the foremen of this whole project. They're going to lead it all. And then at the end of verse 6, And I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Over these last six or seven weeks, we've seen what a big deal the tabernacle was. All that it symbolized. All that it meant. All that it meant for God's people. And this incredible work. This was no ordinary tent. This was God's home, God's palace, the mini replica of heaven on earth. All of that is going to require some incredible ability, ability that God gives to these men. 
He supernaturally, by his spirit, gives them the ability that they need to do the work that God requires. Hear that. It's a supernatural gift. It's not just that Bezalel was always artistic. Maybe he was. But the gift that he's going to need, the ability he's going to need to pull this off, is something that God gives him by the Spirit. It's a spiritual gift, a Spirit-given ability and gift. And if it's a Spirit-given ability, a Spirit-given gift, that means some things. Now, I want you to know, even for us today, we're not living in Moses' day. Even for us today, the Scriptures say that every believer has been given a spirit-given gift by God, a spiritual gift from God. Hear that for a second. Especially those of you that are convinced, I have nothing, I can't do anything, I've got nothing to offer. I want you to hear the truth from the scriptures. The scriptures say that if you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, that he died and rose again for you, that Jesus comes and lives in your heart through the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, he does not come empty-handed. He comes with a gift or gifts. He comes with ability for you to do the work that God requires. And if this gift, like for Bezalel and Ohaliab, comes from the Spirit, from God to you, to them... It means some things. For example, it means there's no room for boasting. Right? Think about that. You imagine that Bezalel is not walking around the tabernacle compound boasting in his craftsmanship. Ohaliab's not praising himself for his skill. The men who would work on this project, the women who would sew the yarn, are not trying to make a name for themselves. How are they going to boast in their gifts when it came from God? Right? How are you going to boast about a gift you received? They didn't work for it. They didn't earn it. They didn't merit it. They were simply given it by God's Holy Spirit. And so if there's any boasting, it's in the giver of those gifts rather than the one who possesses them. And so any who are gifted by God's Holy Spirit don't boast in their own gifts. Do not try to make a name for themselves because the praise for these gifts comes and goes to the giver of these gifts. There's no boasting because these gifts were given by the Spirit. There's also no despising of the gifts of another. So Bezalel, for example, is not walking around looking down on Moses, saying all he does is speak. All he does is talk. He doesn't know how to hit a hammer or he doesn't know how to do any work. You can't talk a tabernacle into place. How's he going to despise Moses' gifts? Because where would the people be without the gifts that God had given to Moses? Right? They would be doing work, only they'd be working for Pharaoh building pyramids rather than working for God building a tabernacle if it were not for the gifts that God had given to Moses. They'd be working for a cruel master who told them to make them bricks without providing what they needed, straw, rather than a good master who told them to make a tabernacle and gave them the gifts to do that. So Bezalel would not be despising him. Likewise, Moses would not be despising Bezalel walking around saying, this is just such menial work. It's not like the spiritual work that I do. The, the leading, the communicating, the teaching, the writing. No, for where would the people be without Bezalel's gifts? Because again, remember, God brought them out so that they might worship him. The tabernacle was central to the book of Exodus. And where would they be without the gifts that the Bezalel possessed. 
This is like the New Testament. When the New Testament starts talking about the gifts that are given to God's people, the body, the church, he describes it like a body where we're all different parts playing our own parts and we're not all the same thing. But every part is needed so that God is glorified and the whole body is served. Right? So the eye, the scriptures say, doesn't get to say to the foot, we have no need of you. And the scriptures will humorously say, for what if the whole body was an eye? Where would your sense of hearing or smell be? And the foot cannot say to the eye, I don't want to be a part of this body because I'm not the eye. No, you need every part to play its part. And so likewise, there's no boasting because these gifts came from God. There's also no despising because every part is needed. There's also no envy since these gifts came from God. So I'd imagine Bezalel is not walking around going, I wish I could speak like Moses. Then I'd feel like I was worth something. Then I'd feel like I had a part to play. Then I'd feel like I was important. If I could lead like Moses leads. And likewise, Moses, I would imagine, is not walking around going, I wish I was artistic and creative like Bezalel and Ohaliab. Because then we could get something done. No, every gift is given by God as God determines for the good of the whole to the glory of God. Hear me. What if you realized that the gift that the Spirit brought into your life was ordained for you by God? What if you realized that whatever gift the Spirit brought, because he didn't come empty-handed into your life, whatever gift the Holy Spirit brought to you was ordained by God for you? No reason to boast because it came from God. No reason to despise another because the same God who gave you a gift gave the, the other a gift. No reason to envy because God handpicked the gift he wanted to give you, the ability he gave to you, right? It's not like sometimes we think that God had this bucket or this bag of spiritual gifts in heaven, sort of dumped them on the earth. You got one and a big lump of them went to the guy sitting next to you. And you're sort of wondering, why why are they so gifted at all this stuff and I've got this one lousy thing? What if rather you saw that the wise God handpicked what he wanted to be for you. Handpicked what he wanted you to be able to do. Handpicked the ability or gifting that he gave to you. That would be encouraging to know that the most wise God, when he sent the Spirit into your life, sent with him and a handpicked gift for you to have for the building up of the body. Perhaps it might also be encouraging for you to consider that Bezalel's gifts were not overtly religious or spiritual. They were actually very earthy. Right? Do you, do you know what I mean? He, he's not speaking. He's not preaching. He's not teaching. He's not writing down books of the Bible. He's swinging a hammer. He's cutting stone. He's sewing fabric. His gifts are very earthly, and yet those gifts are given by the Holy Spirit for the work that God requires. What would it do for your soul if you began to understand that the gifts that God gives to his people is not just for preaching or singing or writing or stuff that appears on stage? What if every gift was given by the Holy Spirit to you for his work and that the same spirit that gives some of the religious gifts gives some of the earthy gifts and all of them are used for the glory of God? What would it do for the artist-like folks among you? 
If you thought that this gifting, this desire, this passion was given by God as you're drawn to drama or to theater or to music or to photography or to paint or, or whatever it is, that the same God who gifted Moses to speak is the God who gifted Bezalel for art. What would it do if you began to think that all these things were given by God for God's glory to the good of all people? You see, the Bible has lots of gifts mentioned. In fact, there's not even a place in the scriptures where you find this exhaustive list of every gift possible. It's almost as if the Bible wants to just sprinkle out a few so that you begin to see God has lots of ways that his spirit has gifted God's people. The Bible talks about the gift of administration. So some of you, for example, you're just organized and efficient. Where the rest of us see a messy field, you see a path and you know how to get things done. We could hand something off to you and we don't have to think, it, think about it again because you're going to get it done. What a gift that is to God's body. Some of you have a gift for mercy. You see a need, your heart is moved and broken until you meet that need. And you're creative about how you meet that need. Some of us see a homeless man, we walk to the other side of the street. For you, you're thinking about it. You're wondering how you, how you can be a part of what God wants to do as often as you can to help those who are in need. Some of you have a gifting for service, right? You don't want your name in lights. You don't want to be recognized. You don't want a platform. You just love doing whatever needs to be done. If there's sweeping to be done, you could be the CEO of a company, but you have this gifting for service. You're the first one in, the last one out. Every workday, you're in. You're not, you just love serving. You have a gift for it. Some of you have a gift for hospitality, Your home is always welcome and open. Strangers, as the Bible says, people you don't even know well can come into your home and feel at home. They feel welcome. They feel at ease. They feel loved because you just have a gift towards hospitality. Some of you have a gift for giving. The Bible calls generosity a gift. You have this great joy and love to bless other people. You're thinking about what you can part with, what you can give away that might bless someone else. What gift you can give that would make someone else's day and you find great joy in it. We could keep going. The scriptures has many to list. Because the scriptures teaching is we're like different parts on a body. Every part playing its part, every one bringing their gift to the betterment of the whole body, serving the body however it has need. The Bible calls these spiritual gifts given by God's Spirit to build up God's house. Except remember, for the last several weeks, we've said we're not building a tabernacle. We're not building a tent. We're not building a temple. God's dwelling place, the place where God dwells now because of Jesus, is in us. We are the dwelling place. The Spirit abides in the church. That's the house that we now are called and gifted to build. Hear this so that you remember it again. Ephesians 2 says, And in him, that's in Jesus, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. You too, all of you, that's plural, you are being built together as the dwelling in which God's Spirit lives. We're now the building that we're supposed to use our gifts to build up. So so think through that again. Isn't it a wonderful encouragement to think that God's work has never been nor will ever be a one-man show except for Jesus Christ? He's the only one who is good enough to pull it off by himself. All the rest of us play a part together. This call does not come just to Moses. 
It comes to Bezalel and Ohaliab and a host of unnamed men and women whose names never make it into the scriptures, but sow yarn and do work to build up this tabernacle. What if you believe today, who do believe in Jesus Christ, that when the Spirit came into your life, he brought a gift? What if you even believe that God has you a part of this body in this season at Seven Mile Road because there's something you bring that this body needs? Some gifting, some work, some ability that you possess that will bless the rest of us. What if you thought to yourself, God's called you here to serve this body as it has need, whatever that need may be. God has called and gifted all of you who belong to Christ for his work. The only question is, are you available to serve him? The question is, are you available to serve him as he needs, whatever it may be, for the good of the body? Now, maybe that question sounds like a no-brainer for you, right? I mean, which, which person who belongs to Christ, or maybe even any of us, whether you're a Christian or not, is going to shake their head and go, no, I don't, I don't want to serve God. No, we'd all say we're available. But, but here's how I think your mind processed that question. And here's what I think, if you were nodding yes to, here's what I think you said yes to. I think the way that you heard that is what I asked was, are you willing to do for God whatever it will be that will showcase your gifts? That's not what I asked. I'm asking, are you available to serve God and do his work, whatever it might be, however the body needs? Because you see, the danger when you start talking about gifting, the thing that we have to be cautious of, is that we can make this whole thing, this individualized, privatized sort of thing, my gifting, my ability, so I got to do what I can bring, rather than I got to do what the body needs. The question's not, are you willing to do whatever it is that will showcase your gifts? The question is, are you willing to do whatever it is that God needs, that the body needs? Right? We can take this whole conversation about gifting and turn it and warp it in a way that it becomes this entitlement to do only that which I want to do. And only that which I feel I'm entitled to do. Or as a cop-out to, to not do what I don't want to do. Right? Let me, let me explain that. We can use this whole thing to, to make ourselves feel like I should only do what I want to do or I'm entitled to do. Right? So you can sit in the church and feel like I should be doing that. I should be leading there. I should be heading that up. I'm gifted for this. Why haven't they already asked me to do this? Or it can be a cop-out for not doing what you don't want to do. Like, I'm not gifted at nursery. I don't have a spiritual gift for children. Have you ever noticed that no one seems to have a spiritual gift for a nursery? Right? It's like when God forgot to, God dropped the gifts, he forgot to give out the gift for a nursery. I want to tell Sobe, listen, the next time someone tells you I'm not gifted with children, say, neither am I. I'm worse. We'll just throw the crying kid back and forth to each other. Right? <laughs> I'm not asking, are you willing to serve God's body in a way that showcases your talents and gifts, but are you willing to serve God's body however the body needs, to the glory of God, for the good of the body, not just for your self-fulfillment, your self-actualization, for your own convenience, right? When you talk about the gifts, 
One of the things that we forget is that the purpose of these gifts is not just for self. It's for the body. It's not to get your name in lights. It's also not to make yourself feel better. This whole thing can take this really dark, twisted turn if this becomes about just you and you trying to find an identity through these gifts, right? If this becomes, I've got to do this thing so that I can be seen as good, so that people can think something well of me, so that someone else will say something nice about me, so that I can feel like I'm worth something and not taking up space, you've missed the whole thing. You've got to go back to Jesus and the gospel and get your identity there and say, Jesus Christ died for my sins. He made me accepted with the Father. I've got no work to do, nothing to accomplish, nothing to achieve, nothing to perform for him to accept me. So I don't need to do this thing exceptionally well for someone else to say something for me to feel like I have an identity. My identity is rooted in Christ. And it doesn't come with a good performance or a bad one. My identity is settled in his finished work, in his performance, in his gifts. Then I can go back and say, I want to serve this body however it needs. And if the body, this corporate nature, becomes in view, then I'm happy to use my gifts if it serves the body and happy to serve even if it's not in my gifting if it serves the body. I'm happy to do whatever the body needs. I'm not just out for myself. I want you to hear this one verse from 1 Corinthians 12. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Hear that again. To each of you is given the manifestation of the spirit the gifts of the spirit for the common good these gifts were never given to you so that you could feel worth something so that you could feel accomplished these gifts were given for the common good and if your eyes are on the common good the body then you serve if your gifting is required happily and joyfully you don't serve with your gifting if it's not required and you're not bitter about it You serve wherever the body has need because it's for the common good. I think the scriptures are asking this morning, not are you willing to serve God and do his work in a way that showcases your gifts, but are you willing to serve for his glory however he needs? And here's the thing. If you'll do that, I think you're the one who's going to benefit. And here's why. Because service, I think, is what actually unlocks the gift. I think service is the path to discovering what your gift is. Here's what I mean. Many of you have sat here, and you've sat here patiently, and you've listened to me talk about all of this. And maybe you're nodding your head, and you're saying, all of this sounds dandy, but what is my gift? Right? All of this sounds good. I'm I'm fine with it all. Everyone's given a gift. God's gifted you and called you to do that work, but how do I know what that is? How am I supposed to know what I'm good at and what I'm called to and what God wants me to do? Isn't it very easy for the guy who gets to stand up at the front and does this 50 times a year to be able to say, everyone's got a gift? It's very easy for the guy who sings up at the front. What is my gift sitting in the pew or throughout the week? What what is it that I'm supposed to do? That's why I want to ask you again, the question is not, are you just willing to serve according to your gifts? Are you willing to do what the body needs? Because I think as you do that, you will discover your own spiritual gift. One of the best things I've heard about this is from a pastor named Tim Keller from New York. And he says, when you're considering the spiritual gifts, consider three things. Ability, affinity, and opportunity. Ability, affinity, and opportunity. Ability, what are you good at? 
Affinity, what do you love to do? Opportunity, where is there a need? Consider these three things, right? Ability, what is it that you do that you are good at? You seem to be gifted at it. Other people affirm you as you're doing it. You, you seem to be making a headway, and, and you could look at yourself and go, I think this is something I'm good at doing. Ability. Affinity. What do you have a love for doing? What do you have a passion for? What do you feel like you come alive when you do this thing? Right? I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire. There's this great scene with this one runner who's a Christian, and he has this, this famous line where he says, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I love that line. What do you do that when you, when you do it, you feel like this is the way God made me. And when I do this thing, I feel his pr- pleasure. I come alive. Ability, affinity, opportunity. Where is God opening a door? Where there's a, where's there a need that you might be able to step into? Where is there an opening for you to serve? And when these three things come together, ability, affinity, and opportunity, there's a good chance you may have discovered what it is you're gifted to do. When there's, a, when there's this coming together of, here's something I'm good at doing, and I love doing it, and there's an avenue for me to do it, you, you may be discovering the place where you are gifted. But here's the key. Start with opportunity. Don't sit on the sidelines and go, I can't do that because I don't have the ability. I'm not good at it. And I can't do that because I don't really like it. I I don't have a love for it. Do what there's an opportunity to do. And as you meet the opportunity, you may discover that you have an ability and an affinity for it. Right? Maybe you see there's a need for greeting new people. Every week at Seven Mile Road, there's a new family, a new person, a new couple, a, a new college student. There's always someone new every week. Maybe you sit and you go, someone ought to greet them. Someone ought to welcome them into their home. Someone ought to take them out to lunch. Why not let that someone be you? And as you do it and you meet that opportunity, maybe you go, I'm actually good at this. And I actually enjoy doing this. They feel welcome. They're back again the next week. And when they talk about what drew them to the church, they keep talking about how people were welcoming to them. And maybe you discover you have a gift for hospitality. Maybe you see there's a need for instructing our children in Sunday school. And maybe you go, here's an opportunity. I'm going to learn how to teach Sunday school. So you meet that opportunity. And maybe as you're doing it, one of the parents comes and tells you, do you know this week my kid was reciting this story? I never even taught them that story. You've done such a great job of teaching my child. I'm so grateful for you. And you go, maybe I'm good at this. And, And maybe by the fifth week, you actually enjoy it too. And then you find there's opportunity and ability and affinity, and maybe you have a gift for teaching. Maybe when you talk about the Bible, people who didn't understand that passage understand it better. Maybe there's a need for meals to be taken to a new mom or to someone who's sick. Just an opportunity. But maybe as you do it, you find that you actually enjoyed it, and and you had a good conversation with them, and, and someone else affirmed you in it, and you find you have a gift for service. We could keep going. The idea is, if you meet needs as the body has need, if you meet those opportunities, perhaps over time you'll discover what you have an ability and an affinity for. I want to be very practical and then we'll close. As I say that, I want you to hear this. That's going to take time. It's going to take time. 
which is not what you want to hear. You want to know what your gifts are today. It's going to take time because if this is serving the body as it has need, if this is this community relationship kind of thing, that's going to take time. If we're a family and we're trying to discover what one another's gifts are, that's going to take time. I'll I'll give you an example. I have a four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son, or they're going to be, Um, right? And how am I going to know... Shiny was nodding her head. I do know their age. Um, how am I going to know what they're gifted at? Right? How am I going to know if Hannah's drawn to the piano or to ballet or if she's actually good at sports or if she likes art? I'm going to know because over the course of many years, I'm going to let her try lots of stuff. I'm going to shepherd her through that whole thing. I'm going to give her feedback. I'm going to challenge her on what she's not good at, encourage her on what she is good at, and over time, I'm going to walk with her so that she begins to discover what it is she's good at. I don't know today what her gifts are, but over time, in the context of relationship, she'll discover them. And that's the same way it is for us. You see, there are now even uh, spiritual gifts tests that you can take. Those, Those might be incredibly helpful. But I think one of the reasons people are drawn to them is because it shortcuts the whole process of community. I don't need anyone else. I've got this 100-page question, and I fill in the answers, and it will spit out and tell me what my spiritual gift is. There may be a place for that. But that whole thing is this individualized, privatized thing of me and my gift and my ability so I can feel like I'm doing something, as opposed to I'm serving the body. With real-life, flesh-and-blood human beings, I'm meeting needs, and in that course of those events i'm being challenged and i'm being corrected and i'm being encouraged right if i'm in relationship with people if i'm actually serving real human beings then then someone can come and tell me brother i don't think that's something you're particularly good at and it's going to take relationship for me to be able to hear that but if i have relationship if i'm in community i can hear that and it might be in the context of community that you're also encouraged Can I take a two-second tangent to talk about encouragement for one second? Because I think this is really important for the conversation. In fact, if you don't hear anything else, I I don't say that often. If you don't hear anything else, hear this part. Do you know what a powerful role encouragement could play in us helping one another discover our spiritual gifts? You have a role in not only discovering your own spiritual gift, but in helping your brothers and sisters discover what it is that God has called and gifted them to. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I wish I just knew what it was that I was good at. I wish God would just tell me. I wish someone else would just come and say, this is what you're good at. Spend the rest of your life doing this. What what freedom would come for your heart if you knew that? Now, here's what I want you to think. The person sitting right next to you is thinking the same thing. And what if you could play a part in helping one another discover what it is that God has called and gifted you to do? Do you know how powerful encouragement could be if you were thinking about the body and could help affirm in someone else's life, this is what I think the Spirit is doing? You see, at Seven Mile Road, if I'm honest, I want to say we're not very good at this. That starts with me. Right? Sometimes we're afraid to fill people's head with hot air, and, and we don't want them to boast. And so we can swing all the way to the other side of never saying anything and let everyone wallow in despair, like this is the most ungifted place. Right? 
because we're, we're so afraid of making someone feel proud that we go all the way to the other extreme. I'm not saying say empty words, just randomly compliment one another. What I'm saying is if we said these gifts are from the Holy Spirit, all I'm saying is have eyes to see evidences of what the Holy Spirit is doing so that the Holy Spirit might gain great praise. You're not saying you are this by yourself. You're saying the Holy Spirit seems to have gifted you this way. God will be glorified in that, and God can deal with the person, right? If, if all I'm saying is if all we do is are critical to what we're not doing well, why are we not also critical or seeing well what the Spirit is doing? If it's true that the Spirit did not come empty-handed but came with a gift into every heart of every believer in this room, then help someone see what gift the Spirit brought. I'll give you an example very quickly. When I was in grade school, the church I grew up in, I don't remember what grade it was, 6th grade, 8th grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, the church I grew up in used to let anyone who could speak preach. So I got to preach plenty of times. I never studied the Bible. I knew no theology I look back, my sermons were borderline heresy every single time. It was horrible, horrible. But I could speak. I remember I preached as a, a grade school kid. I don't remember what age. And after I was done preaching, after the service, this older guy came and sat me down. He was either in college or working. I don't know if you remember what it's like when you're a kid. When you're a kid and this older, cool person in college, like you can't even imagine that they knew you were alive, let alone sat, sit down with you, Right? So he sits me down, and that itself already has captured my attention. And he tells me, Ajay, I just want you to know, I think you're gifted at preaching. Right? So again, I'm eighth grade, ninth grade, whatever it is. I can't even imagine he knows I was breathing. And now he's telling me I have a gift. And he tells me, he tells me I think you should even consider doing this with your life, like you should consider doing this full time. I remember going into the bathroom because I needed some place to be alone, going into one of the stalls and just literally praying out to God and saying, God, what was that? And, and saying to God, if you want me to do this, I'm available. How powerful was that encouragement to me? 20 years later, I'm talking about it. That, that moment has become a permanent part of my story. I get to be here every single week preaching. And part of it was because someone was willing to step into my life and affirm something that they saw the Spirit doing in me. And then opportunity began to open, and I found I had this great affinity for it, and someone encouraged me that I had an ability for it, and these three things came together, and I feel God's pleasure. I feel like I come alive. What if you could do that for someone? What if part of their story was going to be, one week, someone sat me down and said, Sister, I just want to thank you. You have a quiet way of serving. You're the first one in setting up. You're the last one out. You're never talking about it. I am really blessed by what you do, and I just want to thank you. What if you go to someone and say, Listen, I just need you to know something. When I talk to you, I feel better. You have this gift of listening and empathizing. I don't know how you do it. I don't know what you say. But by the time I'm done talking to you, my burdens feel lighter. I feel like I can breathe easier. And I just want you to know that because if you're blessing me, I want lots of people to be blessed. So keep doing that. What if you went to someone and said, you know, you just have a very good way of organizing things. 
You keep people on task and, and all of us are helped because you do what you do. Again, if you hear one thing, would you hear this? Would you pray and ask God to build a culture of encouragement at Seven Mile Road? That's very foreign to many of us. A culture of encouragement at Seven Mile Road. Even would you think to yourself maybe this week, who is it you need to encourage this week? Whose gifts have served you? Who are you blessed by? Right? Maybe you need to write a card. Maybe you need to write a note. Maybe you need to call someone, text someone, email someone. Maybe you need to buy them a gift, right? And, and tell them, listen, when you're out at dinner and you're thinking about this gift, just know that we're thinking about you. We're, we're grateful for you. We appreciate you. Who is it that the Holy Spirit may be telling you to encourage so that they might discover what it is God has called and gifted them to? There's this corporate nature to this whole thing, this body life thing to this whole thing. And if you rip it out of body life and make it this my gift for my good and all this individualized thing, you rip it out of the context for which God gave it. The Spirit has given much grace to this body for the common good so that God can be glorified. God has called and gifted you for his work. Are you available to serve him for his glory and as his body has need? Let me read you one verse and we'll close. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11. Hear this verse. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we give you thanks today because you are such a generous God. Not only have you sent your son, Jesus Christ, as a gift into the world, not only did you have him live for us and die for us and rise again and live to make intercession for us, but you sent your Holy Spirit into our hearts that you might dwell now in us. And what a generous God you are that when the Holy Spirit came, he also brought an ability, a gifting something that we could use to your glory, something that would bring us much joy, something that would benefit the body. Lord, we pray that you would be with every heart and have your spirit help us to respond to your word appropriately. If we feel like we've been sitting on the sidelines, if we've been selfish, if we've thought through this whole thing in a way that is just about us, we repent, we confess we pray that you would put our hands and feet to work as the body needs, wherever it is. We pray also that the Holy Spirit would encourage every heart here to remember that their identity does not come in what they're good at, but that Jesus was good for them. That their identity does not come in what people say because the Father has said already, I am pleased with you. That their identity is so rooted in Jesus that they can serve in response to your gift rather than trying to achieve a name for themselves. And would you encourage every heart to actually believe the Holy Spirit has gifted you, each of us? And would you, over time, keep us patient, help us to meet needs and be affirmed and be challenged and be encouraged? I pray especially, please hear me, Lord, 
Build a culture of encouragement at Seven Mile Road. Help us to be a people that identify the Spirit's work in one another's lives and point that out to the glory of God. Bless us, O Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.